Hello everyone and welcome to episode 456 of Contractor Criticism. I'm your host, Heezy, and I'm joined by a person that I need a confirmation about something on, and that's Mason Clark. What's up, Since What can I help you? So, if my memory serves correctly, and I'm getting old, Mason, so forgive me if I'm wrong. You know, it's the boomer in me. Um, you started the week after we had Chantel on the podcast, correct? No clue. <laughs> All right. My my memory is we did our first live show ever with Chantel. You're like, I can help uh, you do this better. Yeah. And then start the week after. I know that you did your first live show and I watched reached out, but I don't know if it was the week after or a couple weeks after or what. Either but way. I actually I don't even remember Chantel right now. I just remember it's a live show. I am quite positive that today is the six year Mark, in which you asked me to hop out on the show. And I just that want to say crazy. happy six years. It's so wild between these last couple episodes. Abe's gone too. You were gone last time. It was like my three year or four year coming back to the show uh, with Trey. And then now this. It's an anniversary season in May. Yeah, it really is. Wow. I love it. I love having you, man. I, I, t- I told you that earlier today, but I really, I'm really grateful for you in my life. Yeah. Uh, let's get yeah. over the sappy yeah. stuff and get into always improving, shall we? Yes. Unless you're just sappy, in which case. No, I just want to let everyone know Abe's just feeling a little under the weather back next week. Yeah, he'll be he'll be back. Soon you'll see. Uh, Mason, let's have you go first this week. I actually forgot to switch the show notes around. Um, why don't you talk to us about what you've been doing to be always improving? Yeah, so I've been playing a lot of Pioneer. I've got a local RCQ, actually my LGS, uh, which is great because I've never got to play an RCQ there before, nice and close by, uh, this Saturday, and then the RC in Atlanta, and kind of been doing a lot of exploring uh, because we have a brand new set uh, that's going to have some cards I think are going to impact Pioneer a little bit coming out this Friday, and I've been wanting to do a lot of exploratory stuff on just sort of like what you can and can't do, and was been doing that for the last couple weeks, and it's been really good to sort of see what are the strengths, what are the weaknesses, how do these decks sort of tip? That's the always improving moment is taking the time to like double check the stuff where it's like, I'm like 85% sure I understand how this deck works, but I'm a little unsure. Let's take a little bit of time. Let's play this just to make sure that I'm fully prepared so that when it comes time for the RC here in just four weeks, that I'll be ready to, you know, lock in a deck and be ready to go. Cause I probably won't pick a deck until the week of the RC um, and then sort of jam everything out then. So I want to just have, a nice little smorgasbord of ideas on everything and sort of know how they work. So, When is Atlanta? Uh, Atlanta's in November. Dallas is the beginning of June. Okay. Okay. I thought Atlanta was the week before Thanksgiving. I, I have no idea. I, I know Atlanta's in November. Okay. That's all I know. Well, uh, I first of all, to kind of add on to what you're saying. I too have been, well, maybe I should give context first. So since I was last on the episode, on the show, um, I, my, the company that I was working for had a new round of funding. And in that round of funding, they, uh, because I was working for a startup, they, they didn't get enough funding to keep everybody. And I unfortunately was laid off, um, with, with a little bit of, a little bit of severance. And, um, apparently that's really good for me and magic because I end up like doing really well at RCQs. And I thought I was going to win one. Um, ended up uh, losing in the final round of a two-slaughter. It was actually our biggest two-slaughter that was at this franchise of stores. 
so far. So the Pioneer's really popping here in Utah. And uh, I, I ended up audibling the last minute from those who, you know, in the Discord know that I was playing a bunch of creativity um, and worked pretty hard on that deck. Um, but we actually played some games with Pelucranos um, in in the mono green lists and i was like this is like this does exactly to your beatdown plan what i imagined the green deck would play like so i ended up playing a uh, mono green uh, at that event and what i what i want to highlight here and kind of an always improving moment for me is because i've been playing so much pioneer lately um mostly explorer but a little bit of pioneer too um, I'm able to switch between decks really easily. And that is something that uh, kind of in the time that I've had Alicia, so the last two years, I've been a little bit worse at, um, you know, really trying to focus on, you know, mastering archetypes and, and things like that. Um, but I've been able to, I don't know, I've just been able to play a lot this season. It kind of goes to the power of like knowing that I was preparing for uh, Pioneer, taking the end of last season off. Um, and, and putting all my eggs into that basket. And it, it's a really nice feeling to, to really feel comfortable with a multitude of decks. 100%. Yeah, and Alicia is your daughter, correct? Yeah. So yep. this whole thing, awesome, great. Just wanted to, you know, listeners that may not know that, but yeah, no, it, it is awesome to be able to switch between decks. And what's one of the nice parts about Eternal formats, right? Like when it comes back to like modern season, for example, you know, you've got like Tron and Hammer and all these other decks that you can sort of pick back up. And even if they're in a little bit of a different spot, Kind of that certain point, say with Pioneer, right? So it's cool. Like you kind of get the work in, and maybe you come back six, seven months later, it's like, oh, okay, things are a little different. But I know, you know, the basics, and I can sort of hit the ground running. So it's really nice. And it's almost like when you have more time with the format and the cards, it's easier to maintain, which I'm sure we won't talk about at all in the rest of this episode. Oh, that's a great transition. I wish that uh, we were jumping into that one. But before we do that, I just want to say that if you want to support the show directly, um, it would mean a lot to us. The show is it's free for a reason. Um, you know, we believe that we are trying to provide a service to the community that we love so much. And so, um, you know, if you feel like you're getting something out of it, you know, head on over to patreon.com slash become a patron of the show. Um, just starting at $1 a month, just as appreciated, but uh, $5 gets you access to the discord, um, where you can see, you know, the list that I played this weekend, I, I posted before I played it, um, you know, the, the list that I didn't play, I also posted. So, you know, there's ways to get deck lists. Um, we did some, uh, we had a couple people in there for the Pro Tour this weekend. We had about four people watching the Pro Tour together. It was really fun. Awesome. Uh, Pro Tour was great. Speaking of the Pro Tour, an exciting announcement happened at the Pro Tour. And Mason, I kind of want you to, to talk about it. Uh, you actually read the article more recently than I did. Um, what What's happening? What was announced at the Pro Tour? Yeah, so they announced some pretty big changes. Uh, Nathan Store is going to win every tournament forever. And then the second change was that Standard is now going to be a three-year-long format. So what does that mean for you, the listener? That means when uh, Wild of the Elden Ring comes out in about four months, that you will no longer be losing like Kamigawa and Shitsunuka Pinna like you would originally. These cards are just going to be added on to our Standard rotation. And then a year and six months from now, when the next fall comes out after... Throne of Eldraine, then we'll see Kamigawa and everyone leave. And sort of this will become the new cadence for standard. And this has some huge implications that I, I personally think are, you know, almost all mono net good. And so I'm excited to talk to you as Spencer. But basically, for the listener, that means your decks that you bought for the RC and RCQ season, they just got another year of life for them. That's sick. 
and they're going to get a whole nother year to sort of interact with these cards. So, you know, if you like Rafine or Shielded or Fable, you know, you've got some more time to hang out with those cards. I, and, uh, you know, kind of the why behind this, Wizards mentioned, er, I think Aaron Forsett wrote the article, he mentions two mm-hmm. things. One, he wants there to be more longevity for Standard. You know, we've, we've obviously heard people complain about the fact that Standard has died in a lot of communities. And, you know, how the pandemic was, that was really hard for the, the pandemic in a lot of ways. Uh, or really hard because of the pandemic in a lot of ways to keep up. And, you know, the uh, so, you know, increasing the lifespan of the cards that people just have gotten into because of you know like you said the the rcs and stuff is really cool and the second thing that they kind of mentioned is feedback and and support for the local the local community um not just for the players who were having trouble acquiring the cards but actually for the stores um and and creating an environment where stores can succeed as standard yeah it's just such a huge ask right like the thing that I always tell people is when they talk about standard and the buy-in, it's like, yes, the cards are legal for two years, but when half the things rotate, most of the time, like at least, you know, at minimum 30% of your deck rotates, right? And so now you kind of have to get a new deck. So you really bought a deck for a year, but now, you know, let's say you buy a deck or whatever, like uh, let's say you, you bought it for Legends, you have a whole nother year with that deck, right? So on average, you're going to get a whole nother year out of your cards. And that's a really big value proposition change up right from someone that's like well i get like eight months nine months with the deck to oh i get two years with the deck okay that's really cool and in the case of things like green white toxic for example if you bought that deck at the the beginning of mom you have three years with that deck that deck costs like 120 bucks i'm going to be at minimum fine the entire time probably great in certain weekends and that's like a small buy-in and now you get to play center at your local level which helps build up your local stores and things like spencer that i mentioned and from a metagame perspective, right, Aaron mentioned this too, because we have more sets and more cards, I think we're going to see less mid-range soup the metagame. And we'll probably see more decks like Green White Toxic or whatever that are able to be like high synergy decks. Obviously, that one was sort of ham-fisted in the all-of-be-one file, but you can more easily have like a Soldier's deck like we saw uh, before this most recent set. You know, that deck's still around and it gets a whole nother year of Soldiers. So it's really exciting and really gets to change up how things are going to play out. Yeah, I... I... I definitely forgot that he had mentioned uh, the, specifically those two decks. Um, one of the things that I was thinking, reading him talk about, is like the number of times where like mono red is like one or two cards off, or you know decks like that where man, I really wish that I had this card from last year. I would really finish this deck that I'm really excited to play. And you know, as a person that was a huge fan of extended, you know, one of the reasons that I like that format is it gave you room to keep your old cards and like use them longer, which this does, but also gave you a chance to like attack the metagame and when new sets come out. So it was like another standard, but I got to keep my cards longer. It was really cool. And and I think yeah. that for me, this fulfills a lot of the things that I liked about Extended, but I'm kind of curious about your thoughts. I mean, I think it's really cool. I know, um, you know, a friend of the show, Yeoman, was a little down on the idea of like, well, there's not going to be rotation, the puzzles, like, and I'm going to have to, I don't get to solve that puzzle, which he really enjoys. I think a lot of players do enjoy it. I think that the puzzle will change up, but it's just going to have a one year where it's a little bit of a different kind of puzzle where it's like, okay, how do these all rotate in with the cards we already know? And then, sorry, next year, you know, we are going to lose sets eventually. It's not like this is a, an internal format now. So eventually you will lose, you know, the Streets of Nuka Pena, the Kamigawa cards, all those things. And then you're going to gain, you know, 
insert whatever block we go to then. But yeah, so like whenever the set that comes out a year and six months from now happens, we will still get that sort of puzzle, which I think is really cool. And I think, you know, just having a bigger pool of cards to build from will lead to more interesting things. Because I wouldn't say every format devolves to mid-range Grindfest, but I do think that a lot of mid-range decks end up being the de facto best thing because every card's kind of designed now to have like a lot of value or a lot of utility. And that really helps benefit these mid-range decks. And so getting more high synergy decks uh, is a lot easier when you have a larger card pool. So I'm really excited for that. I'm really excited for the implications this has for price on cards, you know, um, and just in a chance for people to actually get to play standard. I think that's really interesting. And, you know, it's a thing where it's like, locally, there are no stores uh, basically within like two hours of me that run standard events. And I'm curious to see if they will start running standard events now that like, you know, you can buy in, for example, with green, white, toxic or whatever, and have that be a thing that happens, especially when the RCQ season comes around for being standard here. And probably, I, I think it's like six months or whatever. So uh, it's going to be exciting to sort of see like, how does this change things? What are the impacts on this? And going forward, I think I'm really, really positive on it. I wrote a whole article for Card Kingdom this week about it. Um, so it's hard to, I don't want to like go on and on about it, but I think it's going to be really good. And I, I think generally speaking, it's just net positive across the board. And I also do, I think Patrick Sullivan made a really good tweak. I'm sure some people out there, and I, I've even made a joke about it before about, you know, Shieldred and uh, Fable the Mirror Breaker. Uh, but I think it's a lot easier to make good kind of proper bannings when you have this sort of three-year lifespan, right? So you have to do less things like Reflector Mage, like Meat Hook Massacre, and you can do like actually answer cards like Fable and Shielded once you sort of see if they become actual problems and if they were actual problems, you know? Yeah. And so when you have actual problem cards, you can sort of answer them. So I also would say that I am more okay with bannings in a three-year format. Like, um, you know, I, I think that when you think about kind of the lifespan of, of the cards that I'm buying, you know, if I'm buying a card that's good enough for a deck in standard, it probably stays good enough for some kind of deck in standard pretty often, unless like a key core mechanic is a problem. Um, and I don't think that that's the case, you know, with any of the, any of the cards that we have in standard right now. And so I, just personally, like I, people know me to be pretty anti-bans and I, I think that three years of owning your cards, uh, is a pretty, it helps a lot with that, uh, that hatred that I have for it. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of to wrap up, I, I'll just say that outside of my thoughts around this being somewhat too extended, I also think that, um, the commitment from Wizards is really important here to really try to revitalize standard across the world in the paper community. Uh, I think that if, uh, from my conversations with store owners, they don't have an entry point to get people into magic other than commander. And thus it causes people to become commander players first, even if they're more competitive. And I think that we saw a rise in things like CDH because of that. Um, and if people have other ways to, you know, get into competing without having to to do that, I think that, you know, competitive people will take it. Yeah, I know before it used to be kind of like, at least where I, I was reminded about you, Spencer, but it was kind of like people would draft and then you draft for like five, six months, you're pretty close to a standard deck, you know? And then it's like, oh, I'm going to go play the standard thing or whatever. And now, you know, at, when, at my LGS, there's draft FNMs, all they do is draft. Uh, and then a lot of those players just get the cards and immediately sell them right back to the store, you know? And so that's fine. That that's great for them to have their thing, but it doesn't lead to these sort of growing things. And a lot of them are like, well, we don't have standard. Or why would I play standard? Now there's a reason. I'm really excited to see this. And for arena players solo too, 
let's keep it a buck. The arena economy is kind of rough at times. Now you get more time at your cards. So the investment of a rare wild card, I think, is a lot less uh, demanding, you know, especially for like mana bases and stuff like that. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it all shakes out. Yeah, I'll be interested to see kind of what the end of format standard decks look like with mana. Uh, it will be it will be interesting to see the, the kind of that power level dynamic. Yeah, I think it's gonna be really cool too because, like, from a design standpoint, they don't have to make duels every single thing, right? Like before, there had to be like some pretty good duels unless you want your standard man to be bad, like every two sets. Yeah. And now, like, if there's three years of sets, you could skip two, three sets of doing like really strong mana, and instead of a bunch of utility lands or whatever, which is kind of cool too. So yeah, a lot of different ways to approach it. Cool. Uh, that is going to do it for our thoughts on this new world of standard. We're we're really excited for it here, um, and we hope that you are too because it, it really does help the local communities in a lot of ways that we're not even highlighting. And yeah, that's going to do it. Let's talk about our main topic today, which is we're each going to talk about two cards from. Uh, h- help me help me understand this, Mason. Is it called March of the Machines Aftermath? Yeah, it's called March of Machines Aftermath. It is the a kind of addendum set that is telling us the epilogue of the March of the Machines story. So if you followed March of the Machines at the end of it, you know, uh, spoilers, Elder was defeated. Uh, some Planeswalkers lost their sparks to sort of cleanse the, some of the Phyrexian stuff. And, you know, it was kind of like, oh, with the Elder and them kind of gone and lost another universe. What's going on with those people that we saw get corrupted by the Phyrexians? And this is sort of wrapping up that story and sort of sets up a world where now, you know, if you're a lore nerd like me, like, uh, it looks like people can travel between dimensions that aren't just planeswalkers. So, you know, if Niv Nizzet wants to go conquer a universe, he could. Or whatever. So it's pretty interesting sort of story standpoint. And this is kind of the addendum set to that that provides, I believe, 60 cards. Maybe it's 50 cards. I know I misquoted it last week on the show, and that's on me. Um, but it's a, it's a small little set with just all cards that go into every form. So, Well, let's kick it off with you, Mason. What two cards do you are you most excited to talk about for the set? Yeah, so I have two cards. One that I think is, uh, you know, we're not not doing a full picture set review because it's much slower. So I picked one card that I think is a hit and one card that I'm pretty excited to play with that I think offers some unique things. I'm going to start with the more unique one first. So that's going to be Urborg Scavenger. This is two and a black for a creature spirit 2-2. This has whenever Urborg Scavenger scavenger enters the battlefield uh, or attacks, exile target card from your graveyard, put a plus one, plus one counter on Urborg Scavenger. Urborg Scavenger has flying as... As long as a card exile with it has flying, and the same is true for first strike, double strike, death touch, haste, uh, hexproof, indestructible, lifelink, menace, reach, trample, and vigilance. So um, the thing I like about this is specifically for pioneer um, and standard, to be fair, a little bit because in standard you can put in attracts in the graveyard, and right now we're reanimating attracts, but we won't have that for forever. Um, and this gives you sort of a different way to do and have kind of like a mini attracts. But in pioneer, it is sort of soul flare number two, which has been a deck that has been. Like a fringe deck, we've seen it like put up a couple challenge top eight results over the two or three years we've had Pioneer. And this just gives you another one of those, which I think is a really unique sort of deck building opportunity. Um, and I'm really excited to see what's going to go on. I don't, I'm not for sure that this is going to be changing Pioneer forever, but it's a really cool sort of card and sort of changes the dynamic up a lot. So I like so this one. You can't do it with your graveyard though, right? Uh, enters the battlefield. Well, oh, from a graveyard. A graveyard. Okay, I don't know why yeah. I just read opponents that time. You're yeah, good. I like that it always gets the counter for what it's worth. Like, regardless of whether it's a creature, a spell, whatever it is, uh, you just any exile any card and you get the counter. Yeah, so it also doubles like a graveyard hate, right? 
uh, it's funny too, like you mentioned, uh, a graveyard. So if this deck actually becomes somewhat popular, the mirrors are going to get really funny where it's like, oh no, do I like Grizzly Salvage here to make my land drop? And then maybe they play Urberg Scavenger and hit my Zoltapa or my Atraxa or whatever it is. So uh, kind of cool there. And, you know, just a kind of a unique, cool card uh, just in general. So I, I really like this card. And also it's got really cute art, uh, especially it's like uh, other border one. There's been a lot of memes about that one, which has been pretty cool. So I, I like this one. What do you think of this card in the Graveyard Trespasser slot of Red Black? I uh, hadn't thought about it there. That's pretty interesting. Does it gain Ward if I eat something with Ward? It does not. Okay, I guess that, yeah, because Ward would be too hard to track. Um, I, I, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it. I could see something like this being in that sort of spot. I really like Graveyard Trespasser because of the life stabilization. Sure. Uh, and being hard to kill, specifically the hard to kill part. Yeah, um, that's what so however... Yeah, I mean, this has its own benefits in, like, maybe if your deck is, like, more... Because Rift Trespasser Trespasser is one black-black, correct? Or my mistake? No, it's two black also. This is the same Oh, cost. two black. Oh, my, my mistake. Okay, I was thinking maybe, like, if your deck is less black, you might want this. I don't know why I thought it was one black-black. I'm thinking of Liliana. Um, but anyways, yeah, I, I don't know. I could see them like this. Maybe if, you know, Attraxa decks are a huge part of your metagame, this is a great way to sort of get them. Um, but yeah, that, that's an interesting idea. All right, what's your next card? So my next card is one that I'm pretty uh, excited on for the sake of competitive play for sure, and especially Pioneer. I think if we had Meat Hook Massacre in Standard, I think this card would be really good. Uh, but um, Nixilis Captive Kingpin, this is two black-red for a legendary creature demon 4-3. It has Flying and Trample. It has whenever one or more opponents each lose exactly one life, put a plus one, plus one counter on a Nixilis Captive Kingpin, exile the top card of your library, until your next instep, you may play that card. So, really important, it says play the card so you can put lands into play. That's a question a lot of people have the first time. And the one life is really strong with both Mayhem Devil and Cauldron Familiar. It's very easy to play this and sort of have it grow quickly and get a bunch of cards. And Rakdos Sacrifice is a deck that we have seen have fringe results in standard, and we've seen very strong players like Autumn Burchette, Canister, uh, many others play this sort of deck to very good magic online finishes and at the Pro Tour back in Philadelphia, and one of the big problems with that deck has been its ability to have closing speed against combo decks. So Omnixilis is sort of just like, if you, the way I sort of view it, it's like a mini Corvald in that deck, where basically every time you're sacrificing with your cat or your devil, um, you're getting a card and getting a little bit more power. So now you can actually kind of load up on uh, sideboard hate cards and have some that kills them really quickly, because you could break someone up in Pioneer really easily the first time, but they could rebuild before you could kill them as the Sacrifice deck, because the Sacrifice deck is actually pretty slow and methodical, and this card helps with that, while also just being sort of like your deck's version of Shieldred, where it's like this big thing that comes down, warps the game, and sort of takes over immediately. So I really like Omnixilis Captain Kingpin. I think this is an easy slot into those decks, and changes it up fundamentally forever. Yeah, I think in the Sacrifice decks, it makes a lot of sense. For what it's worth, this card also does work in standard with the aforementioned uh, uh, Graveyard Trespasser, which also... Mm -hmm. makes exactly one life loss. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Also, like, I saw some talk about, like, maybe you put Graveyard Trespasser in your Sacrifice deck sideboard, and then, you know, you got a little bit of combo here. It's a little bit harder to kill, so you have something for more grinding matchups, too, if you want yeah. that. So I think this card's really cool and has, like, a lot of possibilities, and so I'm really excited yeah. to play it. The, the Grixis Sack deck doesn't have a way to make one life exactly in Standard? Uh, I am unsure. I know we have Voldaren Epicure in Standard. That's a card that players talk about for Pioneer. That's the vampire that makes a blood and pink somebody. Um, so that is something with this I know. 
Um, I, I don't actually know how Grixis would have exactly one outside of Trespasser, but they might. That's yeah. I got. I would have to look at the the lists that were doing well at, during standard season a, a while ago. Um, yeah. cool. Could you imagine if you had Meat Hook Massacre with this though? Mm. Mama Mia! Because each one is an individual <laughs> trigger. That's hot. Yeah, yeah. Just pop off, you know, make a huge up next to the list, draw a bunch of cards. So maybe let us unban Meat Hook Massacre. Easy peasy. What about you, Spencer? What is your first card? Yeah, so my first card is. Uh, I, I felt like I was required to have my first card, and that card is Training Grounds. The the thing that our improve our improvement segment is called like. The history of this podcast, uh, one of the p- things that people have often asked me, like, if you could do, could have done one thing with constructor criticism differently, what would you have done? And I said, oh, I wouldn't have called it constructor criticism. I would have called it, like, the training grounds or something. Um, be- because, uh, you know, we used, we used training grounds when naming that segment of, you know, things that will help you get better at magic. Um, because we're not going to... The reason is because we're not going to make you just better. We're just going to make it easier for you to improve. And Training Grounds is one blue for an enchantment. Activated abilities of creatures you control cost two less to activate. Uh, effects can't reduce the mana cost to less than one mana. And this card um, is interesting because it has combo benefits. Uh, actually, Abe asked me to mention that this with Eldrazi Displacer and Drowner of Hope is infinite. And we've actually already seen that happen in different formats with different cards than Training Grounds. And Training Grounds does it for everything all at once, and it can add up to a lot of mana. Yeah, a whole bunch. I think there's a couple other Eldrazi, too, that go infinite with it, plus Eldrazi Displacer and Training Grounds, so might have some really cool implications there for Pioneer. Yeah, I I think that this card is... uh, It is one of those cards that is always, like, waiting to be busted wide open, and, you know, it, it, it in itself, you know, does nothing, right? And uh, it has to be paired with the right situations, and the cards need to lift this up more than it lifts them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Training Grounds is a really cool card. I'm really excited to see it uh, in our Pioneer and Standard. Just, yeah. you know, one of those cards I ask you to do something with it, and that's a really cool question to ask. Yeah. Uh, my next card uh, would have been my on my favorites uh, if we were doing a pick-two-set review. I believe, and that is Nissa Resurgent Animist. Card is two and a green for a 3-3 three, three, uh, creature, uh, legendary creature Elf Scout. It has landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield, add one mana of any color you control. Then, if this is the second time this ability is resolved this turn, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal an elf or an elemental card. Put that card into your hand and put the rest on the bottom in a random order. Uh, what? <laughs> what, do, what does this card do, Mason? You're telling me that I can have a Lotus Cobra in my in my uh, in my Elementals deck that also grabs more Elementals? Mm-hmm. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, it, it's really interesting too because you know I'm just double checking the wording of it. It says whenever Atlanta enters the battlefield under control, add one mana of any color. Then if it's the second time this ability resolves, this turn reveal cards. So if I'm reading it correctly, you get the mana again for the second and the third time as well, right? Yeah, you get the this. you get the mana every time. You only draw the card on the second one. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I mean, for a deck like elves, for like so, you know, a lot of people talk about this in Elementals and it being Risen Reef number five, right in modern, and you can grab your Solitudes and your Furies and Omnaths and you know Mornisses or whatever. 
But in like an elf deck too, a lot of times those cards cost one or three mana. Yeah. Right. So if you like play this on three, or I'm sorry, on turn four, you play land fetch. You can you're gonna hit like an elf of some kind. You can play your archdruid off the mana you fetch, or like play the elf you got and play another one from hand. So really cool sort of card here that helps both those decks a lot, and it's gonna be really interesting to see. It's also just you know a three three for three, so it's not like its body's embarrassing. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of this card. Obviously, you know. Shout out to Lotus Cover, my favorite magic card of all time. But uh, I, I, it was funny. It was not even that long ago. They're like, it, the, somebody asked me if I could make like a magic card. What would it do? And I said, like, the, my invitational card would be a like a Borderland Ranger Lotus Cobra hybrid. And this kind of does that. Like, it doesn't get the land, but you know, it gets a card. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, arguably, like in the right type of deck, stronger than that. Too, yeah, right? exactly. Like, a, yeah. So yeah, no super strong card. I, I know I know a lot of players are like kind of dreading this from modern. Uh, I think it's going to be fine, but it's going to be interesting to sort of see. But I do think this card's like definitely like a, like going to see play in formats. I'm really curious to see what it does in standard too, because we have the the maestro cycle of lands, right? Yeah. So like you know you can if you have like a couple of nisses in your deck and like one or two key elementals or elves, you can find them really easily. Well, not only that, but I'm, isn't Jund Windgrace an elemental? Uh, I think Lord Windgrace is a elemental. I'm not actually sure. It definitely looks like an elemental. Uh, so, I mean, that that would work perfectly with this, right? Like, find your Windgraces, do the thing. Uh, it is a cat avatar, actually. Uh, well, get wrecked your plans. Yeah, I know. I For you're some reason, I thought it was an elemental because of the art. My bad. My bad. You're good. No. Well, I mean, you know, your Lord Windgrace will trigger this, so there you go. Yeah, that's fair. I actually think this card uh, does is likely to, uh, you know, depending on the uh, the way we can do it with elementals, could also help elementals and elves in Pioneer. Um, you you mentioned all what I was thinking about with elves in Pioneer, but elementals has some problems in Pioneer that it relies a lot on its uh, on its risen reefs, and I think that you know you you can really pop off uh, with this and and risen reef together. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see kind of what pioneer elementals might look like. Like, would it be more Thulpad based with the doubling elemental? Um, so that you know, there's a lot of like interesting, cool things that can be sort of done. And you know, just because it, it hasn't done yet doesn't mean it can't be done. Like, oh, that's not a thing in pioneer. It's like, all right, well, I don't know. At some point, there'll be a tipping point. Elementals wasn't a thing before the you know the pitch elementals. So yeah, you eventually get there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just give us free spells, man. Come on. Uh, no, those yeah. are going to do it oh. for my cards. Um, let, should we go into our Patreon question? Yeah, let's do it. I, actually, before we do, I this just should have been in the show notes, but Mason, I, you know, this set, I think, confused a lot of people. But I, I want to just say that, like, after reading through the whole set, I was not necessarily the most excited to do this episode, but I was excited for some cards. And I'm kind of curious on your opinion about, like, how how this was handled and like, if this is how you want, you know, a surplus into standard or into different formats in the future. I think they got it 85% right the first time, which is pretty good. I think 85% is pretty good. I would say that my biggest critique of this product is that it's coming out. I believe it's three weeks after March of the machines. And I understand that from their perspective, Lord of the Rings is like a really big thing for them. And they're expecting a lot of high projections for that. But I personally would prefer if this set was in the time slot of Lord of the Rings because 
we do have this awkward problem with standard, right? Where we sort of have all these sets come out. We have like three or four sets in a matter of, you know, six, seven months. And then we have nothing for four months. And that causes a real sort of drought in content. So having a mini set that sort of completes the story and sort of like wraps that up and adds some new life into this format is great. And I would love if this came out like July 4th or whatever, you know what I mean? Sure. Halfway through the lifespan, that would be so great. Um, and I, I think that, you know, this set just came out way too soon and there's some learning curves and there's also distribution stuff that I don't know about. Maybe that was the plan and this has worked out better. Who knows? I don't have the answers to that, but I really like the idea of this set. And I, I've seen a lot of complaints on Twitter that this is just like a commander only set, which I low key disagree. I think players just think cards that do cool, neat stuff as only commander cards and there are cards that do that, but sometimes it's cool to have that sort of thing in standard. I think too often standard cards are just all mid-rangey. And I think that this set has a lot of cards that personally, I think are going to make a big impact in Pioneer. And I could see them making a big impact in standard. Like if we had Meat Hook Massacre, I would be losing it over our next list in that format. I'd be like, <laughs> okay, I found a way to do something. So like, you know, I I'm a pretty big fan of this set. I just wish it was a little further out than, you know, right out. Well, if you want to ask questions on the show, like I just asked to Mason, go to patreon.com slash CCMTG, become a patron of the show. Um, $5 or more get you access to our Discord, where you get access to a sweet, sweet uh, way to ask questions. This question comes from Mikey. He says, what are some good tips on slowing down the game? Making sure that you understand what the game was and how you think you're supposed to win a game. Yeah, I don't know where you would, your first uh, thoughts are to this answer, but sort of my first thoughts are what are some good when it comes to slowing down the game. I think about this being like a personal thought thing. And one thing I always tell people is make sure that you think through your entire turn, plan out exactly what you're going to do, sort of rehearse it kind of like a play, and then act out the play and do it. And before you do that, take a beat that's just that long, just like I did right there on the show. Give yourself a second to double check things. So many times I've seen players make mistakes and myself as well, where we sort of rush a little bit. And just as we're casting the card, as we're resolving, we're like, wait, this doesn't work for that reason, or I should have done this for this reason. And just doing that on yourself is a great way to do it. And I always ask the question of what does winning the game look like? We talked about one episode, sort of a winning image and a guiding light uh, on CC. I wish I could remember the name of the episode right now, but I'm always sort of thinking, what does winning look like? And how do I work towards that winning image? And sometimes with some decks, winning means, you know, not losing, right? So in case of a control deck, it might be stabilizing the game. But, you know, in the case of other decks, like, uh, let's say, Pioneer Modern Green, you might be like, okay, am I working towards my beatdown or am I working towards my combo? What does winning look like here? Asking yourself that question every turn and kind of having that as your guiding light is a really good question to ask. And part of why, you know, I think control decks are a little bit easier, it's always the same question, right? It's like, okay winning looks like resolving, you know, this Tefer, this big shark typhoon, etc. So that would be my uh, answer to this, Spencer. What would you say to help out with this question? Yeah, I, I think yours is, like, pretty similar to mine because mine is based upon, I'm sure I'm sure where you got that from, uh, which is something that PV once said about planning out his turns. Um, that is the way that I force myself to do it because I have a problem with this. Um, we talked a few weeks ago about me going to, like, arena mode sometimes where I just, like, I'm not thinking about things. And the way to force yourself to think about it is to break down what you want this turn and next turn to look like, um, or even farther than that, in the case that Mason's talking about, when you're like, how do I construct the game in a way to where I get to the point where I win? And this this um, is something that there are kind of microcosms of 
what are the what's the problem that I'm trying to solve and what is the solution that I want to apply to that problem to get to the result that I want and um, it it it, ha it has to be done again and again and checked again and again like Mason says and you know I think that um, kind of learning what learning what makes you play too fast also could be really helpful like what is causing me to play faster what is causing me to go on to autopilot and then breaking down and making sure that you're not doing the things that make you speed up a little bit too much. So mm -hmm. that'd be my tip. Love it. Uh, finally, you know, one of the other ways to participate in the show is to leave a comment on YouTube. One of the ones that we got recently was a grateful, uh, it was grateful for the for the rankings and explanations as I recently built abs and grease fang. And uh, th this, this comment came from Alexander uh, Ortega. And, you know, I love getting positive feedback on episodes that we do. Like, we don't always read them on the show because, like, then it sounds like we're patting ourselves on the back. But when you get these things about, like, a thing that you're doing that takes a lot of effort, like the power rankings do, it, it really does help us, like, say, okay, this is worth it. This is helping people. So I just want to say thank you to Alexander for, for the feedback. Yeah, thanks, Alexander. Glad you liked it. Hope the Fang life's going well. Yeah, Fang, Fang's a sweet tech man. I'm sure it is going well. All right, that is going to do it for this week of the show. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, one of the best ways to do that is to head on over to the Patreon Discord or the public Discord for Easy Game Media. Uh, you can also leave YouTube comments or hit us up on Twitter at CCMTG. You can check out the rest of the network right now. Uh, it's mostly uh, just the uh, wonderful podcast by Sam Black, Drafting Archetypes, um, but more news to come on that. Um yeah, like, comment, sub, review if you're watching on YouTube or anywhere else. It's super helpful for the show. Um, and then if you can re leave a five-star rating on Apple or uh, iTunes, if you think we deserve it, that also helps us out a ton. Uh, Mason, where can people find you? You can find me over at Twitter at Mason E. Clark. You can find me at twitch.tv slash Clark. Find me over at Card Kingdom each and every week writing an article. This week was all about the standard uh, new stuff that we talked about at the beginning of the show. I go a little bit more detail over that. So if you're still a little lost, that might be the place to help you out there. And if you're interested in coaching, you can reach out to me via Twitter or via my email, MasonEClark at gmail.com. I'm always taking on new coaching clients. Spencer, what about you? Yeah, you can find me at Sunset 38. You can find me every week on the Need to Nerd podcast and every month or so on Smash Their podcast about being always improving in Smash Brothers. Um, it's really fun to do these these shows and get to, you know, see see the reception to them. So, uh, you know, it, check out my other content. And then, yeah, I uh, don't know how long I will be without a job, but I'd be happy to take uh, some additional people in coaching. I know that uh, if I if I had previously said I didn't have time anymore, um, you know, and you're still looking for somebody and you enjoyed what I was doing, uh, reach back out. I would love to to pick up some time again. Uh, Mason, what did you learn from this week's show? I would say my biggest takeaway from this week's show is that standard... It is very important to have a like gateway from draft to standard. There's like there needs to be something between draft and the eternal formats. Um, and commander is like a route, but it, it is is not a one size fit all route. And so having you know sort of that second thing where I think you know commander if you're more casually leaning, standard if you're more competitively leaning. I think having that sort of two gateways 
is really good. And having this week's episode really helped realize that. Yeah, mine actually comes from our Patreon question. Um, you know, I, I think about, you know, that I, sometimes you know things and you don't really think about how to execute on the things that you know. And uh, I, I just want to give a shout out to Mikey for his Patreon question. Kind of listening to Mason is like, I know to do all of this and I don't always do it. I should do this more and actually actively practice doing this more. And it's something I'm going to probably try to do this week on uh, on Arena uh, and MTGO before my RCQ. So, Spencer, I got I got to get your feedback live on the show about this because I've been saying this in coaching. That's something I kind of heard from a movie, and I think it's kind of lame, but maybe it's sick. And we'll let you and the listeners that can tweet us and let us know. Okay, it's better to do five perfect karate chops than to do a thousand bad ones. That's absolutely true. You. Yeah. Do you think it's kind of corny? That's kind of no. It's corny, like the definition like of like practicing smash, right? Like. Like the whole reason to get into the, the training routine in Smash Brothers is so that you're like you're like you're not flubbing things that should be perfect inputs, right? And the exact mm-hmm. same thing is true in Magic, where like, yeah, like I took you know five thousand lines in this game, but I could have won in three thousand lines or something. That's that's a big deal. Well, yeah, I I, I think. I mean, that, that's interesting. That, that's a good point, too. I, it was more about practicing. Like, it is better to practice yeah. the karate chop five times there. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. Just like like Spencer said, I highly suggest, like, you know, when I'm playing Magic now, if I'm playing to practice, it is I am trying to do those things perfectly. So you should definitely do them. Uh, and didn't mean to steal your whole thing there. I just wanted some feedback, and maybe the listeners can let us know. I love it. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Uh, you know, shoot us a tweet. Let us know what you thought of this week's episode. And we'll see you guys on next time with another episode of Constructed Criticism.